Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Story time. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. Cuyahoga Valley is a beautiful national park, located in Northeast Ohio. As a park ranger named Zane, I've had the privilege of working in this park for years, and it never ceases to amaze me with its natural beauty. The park is a mix of rolling hills, dense forests, and meandering streams. There are fields of wildflowers, hidden waterfalls, and towering cliffs that offer stunning vistas of the valley below. It's a peaceful place, and one that is beloved by hikers, bikers, and nature lovers alike. But one night, everything changed. I was doing my rounds, checking the trails and campsites, when I heard a strange noise. It was a low growl, deep and guttural, coming from somewhere in the woods. I shone my flashlight around, but couldn't see anything in the darkness. That's when I heard a loud snap, and turned to see a massive creature standing before me. It was unlike anything I had ever seen before, with long, shaggy fur, 
and glowing eyes that seemed to pierce through the darkness. The creature was huge, standing over eight feet tall on its two hind legs, and it had the strength of ten men. I tried to back away slowly, but the creature took a step forward, blocking my path. It bared its teeth, growling menacingly. I knew that if it wanted to, it could easily overpower me. I was frozen with fear, stuck in place with nowhere to go. The creature let out a deafening roar, and I knew that I had to act fast. I drew my taser and fired, hoping to stun the creature and buy myself some time. But to my horror, the taser had no effect. The creature simply shook off the electric shock and continued to advance. I knew that I had to get out of there, and fast. I turned and ran as fast as I could, my heart pounding in my chest. I could hear the creature chasing after me, its massive footsteps echoing through the woods. Somehow, I made it back to my ranger station alive. But I knew that I had encountered something truly terrifying, something that I couldn't explain. The creature was unlike anything I had ever seen, and I knew that it was out there, somewhere in the woods, waiting for its next victim. My husband and I were on the way back home from Navarre Beach heading towards the Alabama line. It was storming really bad that night, as soon as we were passing Blackwater Forest it slacked up a bit. We both saw Bigfoot walking across the road. By the time we were coming up on it it was almost to the other side. He looked so shocked like a deer in headlights. I asked my husband if he saw the same thing that I did and he agreed. I couldn't believe that we had seen it. A couple of weeks ago we got sad news that our older woman friend that had stage 4 cancer passed away. Yesterday her daughter updated everyone with where they were having all the memorial services at and one of the places just stunned me. They opened a restaurant and it's called Bigfoot Crossing exactly in the area that we had seen it. So now I'm wondering how many more sightings, I mean it's got to be quite a bit. Now I want to go back and check out the area more. Decades ago, there was this mountain road on a place called Big Hill. It was the main thoroughfare to get from one county to another, and it wound down the mountain through dense tunnels of trees and down long sloping curves. As the story goes, a woman was killed tragically, and when the culprit wanted to dispose of her body, he shoved her in an old dryer and pushed it over the edge, down into the woods of the hill. It wasn't unusual for people to dump their waste and unwanted here, so it would have been just another piece of junk left behind. After that, people started making reports of seeing a woman walking up and down the hill at night, all alone in the dark tree-lined road. People started to say that you should never leave the window cracked when you're traveling Big Hill, because drivers have seen her on the side of the road and then suddenly her face in their rear-view mirror. She would hitch a ride from the top to the bottom and then would be gone. They always said she was looking for the man who dumped her body, and if you didn't want her hitching a ride, to always have your windows up so she couldn't get in. Some years later, due to the traffic use of that road, they actually redid it the road entirely. Blasted and removed trees, and actually ended up rerouting it entirely to make it better for semis. You can see the remnants of the old road off in the woods, and the few remnants where the old road looks like it crosses over where they built the new road. After they built the new road, there weren't any more reports of the woman on the hill. The superstition went away and the talk of her died down. I think about that from time to time, and I imagine she's still there, walking the old forest road where time has forgotten it. Just waiting to find the one who killed her. It was a very hot summer night. I was coming back from Virginia Beach, and I and my girlfriend at the time were together by the time I got to Mississippi. I had left Virginia early in the morning in the car. By the time I got to Mississippi, Highway 59, it was already close to midnight, or maybe one in the morning. Highway 59 in eastern Mississippi is very, very lonely. You just have Highway 59 with the traffic going that way and the traffic coming this way, and you've got tall trees on both sides and nothing else. 
Maybe you might have a little rest area or a little mom and pop gas station every 15 or 20 miles. But in between there is nothing. As I drove that night, I was tired and I was on the road from the morning, since the state of Virginia. My girlfriend was already asleep and my little boy was in the backseat. Because I'm a night person, I didn't have a problem staying awake. As I drove down that highway, on the side, I saw a man. A man walking, walking kind of fast, looking down. Very tall, loping man that I thought was wearing a coat. I thought, what in the hell is he doing here? First of all, why in the hell is he wearing a damn coat on this hot Mississippi night? I said, honey, I saw a man walking all alone. I need to help him, she said, are you crazy? I said, no, I'm not going to offer him a ride, I'm going to give him some money so that way as soon as he gets to the next town he can get a room or buy himself a nice hot meal or whatever. So I put the car in reverse to make sure that I wouldn't get ahead. I was already about 2000 feet ahead of him but I was going in reverse and he was closer to the woods. He was actually on the shoulder of the highway. I stop the car and he stops. He looks at me and I notice a massive man, and my eyes are trying to adjust to the darkness of the night and I said, Sir, sir, I would like to offer you some money, sir, so that way you could rent a room in the next town. He looks at me, and I realized I was not looking at a man. He made a loud, loud screeching sound that even today my ears hurt and then he ran into the woods. I was so horrified. I got in that car, and I said, honey. I didn't say anything else. I put the car in first gear and I drove 85 miles an hour and my girlfriend was like, what happened? What happened, honey, what did he do to you? I said, honey. It wasn't a man, it was Sasquatch. I just had an encounter with Bigfoot. Later on, I realized that there have been stories dating back to the 1800s and 1700s about the Mississippi Monkey Man. Stories passed on by the slave Indians, people from back then about the Mississippi Monkey Man. I was stationed in the Panhandle near Pensacola. I was in charge of a team of about 10 guys taking part in an exercise. We were playing the bad guys for the exercise, and on that night our job was just maneuvering. Mostly walking and driving around pretend villages. Anyways, we grabbed our gear for the night and went out to an informal staging area to wait around for us to get called into the village. Being a group of young military guys with nothing to do, we started messing around. Driving in circles and up and down the nearby dirt trails in our trucks, talking crap on the radios, looking around with our NVGs, etc., because why not? We spot an SUV parked down one trail which was a bit odd since we were on the military range at the time, but not crazy since we weren't near any of the sensitive or dangerous parts. I drive up next to the SUV slowly and the guy sitting shotgun, with NVGs, says there's some weird person sitting in it. He hands me the NVGs and I look over and holy hell that person was terrifying. They were in the back, on the driver's side. Super tight skin, crazy sunken eyes, thin lanky hair. At first just staring straight ahead, but they suddenly turned to look at us and I booked it out of there. I practically threw the NVGs at the guy next to me. I don't know why but I felt one of the deepest feelings of fear I'd ever had. Literally the only times that were worse were times where I genuinely thought I was about to die. We drive back to where the other guys were and tell them about it. Of course they think we're messing with them but eventually we convince them to follow us and check it out. So now there's a convoy of three trucks holding 10 guys, we roll past to let truck 2 get next to the SUV and only a few seconds go by and the radio goes wild with them yelling go go. We haul us out of there and all agree to find a new informal staging point to park at. The rest of the night we'd f with each other about the descent woman watching us or waiting for one of us to walk off alone and just generally joking around, but I did notice that no one wanted to go piss by themselves. Anytime someone had to go, suddenly a few other guys chimed in too. The rational explanation is that it was some drifter in the SUV crashing for the night, probably at least a little high,
tired, and confused as F about the trucks creeping up on them then driving off real fast. This was our second Sasquatch sighting as a group. I and two other good friends live in British Columbia, Canada. We've had a previous frightening sighting of a Sasquatch that visited us in the deep forest at our campsite. But this time was in the sand dunes. We go there for spring break sometimes with our motocross bikes. After a long day of play in the dunes, we resorted to hanging out at the campsite. As we were sitting at the table I noticed a large figure in the darkness, walking in the middle of the road. I told my friends and we walked towards the figure. It never made a noise. Not even sounds of walking. I clearly saw the figure walk directly out on the road and then it disappeared out of view. I don't think it was a person for a number of reasons. First of all it was so dark that only the moon and residual light from campsites lit the area. Farther away it was pitch darkness. And the overnight temp was below freezing. This was a startling experience. Our first experience with the Sasquatch scared us very badly. It was stalking us in the bush. We watched it, as it was watching us from roughly 10 to 15 feet away. Just sitting there watching us. We could clearly see it. We sat there on a log by the fire terrified. My friend Dan came up with a plan to scare it away. We slowly added more wood to the fire for more light. Jamie and I grabbed burning tree limbs from the fire as Dan jumped on his 250 and hit the kick start and popped the clutch. As soon as the motor kicked over the Baja headlamp turned on, the light was on the Sasquatch that was mortified, you could see its facial expression. It was now terrified as we were. Jamie and I jumped up yelling with the logs and fire. Dan then rode his bike right up to hit trying to hit it. The Sasquatch freaked out and ran down the trail. We regrouped by the fire and tried to come up with an exit plan. We had ridden in on dirt bikes, only one had a headlight. And the trail was too tight to ride in formation. We waited to first light to leave. As soon as there was enough light to seen in the trails we packed up and left. No one has believed us since. Only one other person has experienced with Jamie and Dan. A year after our first encounter, Jamie and Dan took a friend, Jared to the same campsite to shoot off fireworks for New Year's. They rode in on two dirt bikes, both with headlights. As they were shooting off the fireworks, when the area was silent, when not using fireworks, they could hear what would logically be a blue gross mating call, somewhat of an ump noise. They heard the noise all night long, didn't think too much about it, it became louder and louder. Then they heard the bushes moving and then something ran by them at close range. It ran into Jamie's bike knocking it over on the side of the kickstand. They lit off all their fireworks in every direction, they had backpacks full, as one prepped the bikes. Then Jared and Dan doubled on Dan's bike and Jamie, whose bike was knocked over, couldn't get his bike started, the electric start was turning over and over and he said he had the sense of something walking up behind him. Then his bike started, he pinned the throttle wide open, two-stroke motor, dumped the clutch and rode off at a motocross speed. Since then we're a little paranoid of camping there again. One of the scariest experiences of my life was in Tampa, Clearwater, Florida. I had to go get someone and help them move away. We were stalked by Scientologist. No joke. I would go on the porch to smoke and they had a person watching us from the window next door. Hoodie up, barely any light and just stood there staring the whole time. I didn't even see them move at all. I was scared to even go to sleep. When we went out into town they would follow us around. I couldn't even tell you everything that happened. From having random numbers screamed at me and being overall strange. I would rather deal with anything the backwoods can throw at me, rather than that cult. So if you want a terrifying experience just make Scientology mad lol. I live in the backwoods and feel way safer here than I ever did there. Well that's my scary Florida experience.
Just wanted to share an experience I had a couple months ago to see if anyone else could help me try and understand better what is going on and if anyone else has experienced something similar. The date is between August 21, 2017, solar eclipse, and August 31, 2017. My husband and I woke around 3 am to sounds outside our bedroom door. When we looked outside we found our dogs crying to be let in. But we had locked our dogs in their crate before going to bed and our backyard gate is locked as well. Jokingly my husband said, I think aliens teleported the dogs outside. And I said, I hope so, that would be awesome. My husband put the dogs back in their crate and we went back to sleep, but within a few minutes our bedroom door opened again and when I turned to look, two little beings floated into the room. As soon as they saw me looking at them I was instantly knocked into paralysis and could not move at all. This also shifted time into a super slow motion flow. I began to struggle and freak out and that seemed to then knock me out of my body into another plane or dimension. I could now move and when I rolled over to look up at this it had black colored wind moving behind and around it in slow motion. I never saw the second being that seemed to stand guard at the door, but I somehow knew it was there. It was hard to focus on it because time seemed to slow way down and it was as if my vision would vibrate when I looked at it. It had an extremely white head shaped like a Chinese dragon mask. I thought it might be a mask at first with very protruding brows and forehead. I then saw it had a very slim neck and a collar at the top of the suit it was wearing. It was gray and form-fitting with a belt or band in the middle. The energy it was putting off was very unfamiliar to me and I did not like the feeling of it. I immediately noticed that I could feel myself outside of my body from above at the same time that I could feel it from below in bed. I could see and remember everything at the same time from both locations. My instincts told me to create a protection field around my husband and me in bed and I pushed out this blue sphere of light around us from below. But as I was watching myself do this from above it looked like a flat blue circle instead of three-dimensional. I was really struggling from below to move and wake my husband up. I could start to feel myself swaying and trying to shake. From above the energy was so uncomfortable that I wanted to get out of the room immediately. I started floating out my door and then hovering above my pool outside. It was well lit outside, not sure if it was close to a full moon or it was an artificial light from above. I felt as if my body inside could almost break free from this paralysis when I was sucked back into my room and shot up in bed. I woke my husband up and said they were just here, floating around like Peter Pan. He could also feel that something was off and didn't quite know what was going on. He ended up getting our 9mm out and stayed up in the living room for the rest of the night. The time on the clock when this started was 3.23 and when I shot up in bed it was 4.14. I wrote everything down to try and make sense of it all and a few months later my notes disappeared. I knew something was missing in that hour in between the beginning and the end of the experience so I went to hypnosis to try and recover my memories. Hypnosis Session there was an hour of time missing from the night the two beings came into my room and this is what came to the surface during my hypnosis session. I felt sucked out of my bedroom and floated out above our pool outside through our sliding glass door. I then remember being in an extremely bright white room that eventually turned into a large oval shaped room with a metallic table in the center. I floated over to the table and realized that there were other beings in the room with me. They were very tall with white robes on and they looked like praying mantises. There were two or three of them, very big looking heads. There is a strange hum to everything. I then felt a warm golden light start to shine down on me from above and it seemed as if they were scanning me, downloading and uploading energy software or information. And then there were all kinds of lights that formed into small bubbles that seemed to have movies or videos playing inside of them floating all around me. I then floated horizontally next to another being that I could not remember seeing, just knew it was guiding me, down a long corridor of openings, and then I remember being submerged in thick gel-like water. It was pulsing with electricity and I felt my body being pulled outward as if being flattened with the waves of energy. The hum and the silence was very loud and I felt myself being pulled into a wormhole or tunnel. 
It was pumping me through it like an ocean current, 10 feet forward, 3 feet back, and I felt like this light lead me back towards my bedroom. As I looked back up into this light there were four blue beings looking back down at me from above. And then I shot up in bed in my room again, knowing instantly that the two beings were just in my room, floating around like Peter Pan right before all of this happened. It was as if I had floated above my pool and then was instantly sucked back into my room and body before recovering these memories during my hypnosis session. I do remember other humans being in this place also, whether they were helping or being helped also. This place did not feel as if it existed in this reality or time or universe. It was somewhere completely separate and outside of everything. After this experience, I went to a float tank on October 22, 2017, and had memories of being in a craft and traveling through wormholes out in the universe. That night I woke up to a violent episode where my eyes were banging around in my head so hard that I couldn't move without throwing up for hours in the bathroom and had to be taken to a vertigo specialist that diagnosed me with BPP5 and one have had issues with it to this day still. I'm in North Florida, and I've had some weird things happen. Beyond my backyard is about 50 acres or more of woodland that is uninhabited. Beyond that it's rural and not too many people around. You can hear deer, possums, raccoons, and hogs at night tromping through the brush. But there's something else out there every now and then. It walks with the pacing of a person, and loud, too, like someone was walking around not bothering to be sneaky about it. I've shined a flashlight near the sound like I've done before because I like to see the wildlife you don't usually get to watch. When I do this, the animals will freeze and I can sometimes catch a glimpse if they're not too far. This happens with this thing, but the steps never come back. I've spent hours outside after this, and I have never heard a peep after looking for the source. There will also be no sounds of any other critters for quite some time which is creepy by itself. It's unnerving and reaches something deep in you that makes you feel like everything is off. About a year ago, something had begun to terrorize my cats, and injured one a bit, but nothing life-threatening yet. One night my kittens were being attacked and the mama cat was scared, which is the opposite of her nature with them. It was chaos, cats screaming and whatnot. So I got my shotgun and went out. A black cat had chased them up a tree. It was just sitting at the base of the tree. I can't properly explain the feeling I got from it. It's a pretty regular occurrence to have feral cats come through and they're fairly dangerous to small animals. I was able to walk up to the back fence where it was about six foot to the tree with my kittens and the asshole cat. It didn't budge when I got close. No fear at all. I shot my shotgun into the brush to get it to run off. Didn't even flinch. At this point it was my cats or this stray, so I made the difficult decision to shoot it. From 6 foot away with a 12 gauge. I missed. I'm a very good shot as I've had a lot of training through law enforcement employment. The damn cat still didn't move. I shot at it two more times with no damage to the cat. It meandered off like nothing had happened. I've tried to figure out how this could be rationally explained, and I've got nothing. During the day things will get weird, too. If you go for a stroll in the woods as my four-year-old loves to do, you will find yourself in the eerie silence I mentioned before. No birds, no squirrels, nothing. And you begin to see a figure out of the corner of your eye. It goes from tree to tree and you never have enough time to turn and look at it. My wife has seen it, too, so I know it's not a peripheral artifact of some sort. Once you are being followed by whatever this is, it won't leave you until you leave the woods. This is in an area between Boring and Gresham, Oregon. I was with some friends coming back from a late night drive. Anywhere from 11 p.m. to 2.30 a.m. late summer early fall. Was a little chilly in my opinion. We had stopped at a stop sign at a crossroads. I was in the passenger side back seat of a 73 AMC Hornet, so visibility is not the best. 
I noticed as we passed the crossroads there was a huge field to my right, with a house on it. The lights in the house were off. I noticed something walking across the field, a dark figure. I pointed it out to my friend and said hey what in the hell is someone doing walking across a field this time of night. He commented something about it being one big dude we don't want to mess with and then something about Sasquatch. When I think back on it, I can visualize the size, and it was pretty tall. My friend was 6 feet 4 inches who I was with and I had a friend from high school who was 6 feet 9 inches and this thing was easily a foot over the 6 feet 9 inches guy. Had some girth to it too, large arms too, like CO2 cylinders for soda dispensers. It seemed to kind of glance in our direction a little, but didn't seem too concerned. It looked like it had entered the field from probably 100 to 150 yards up, and when we passed it, was probably about 100 yards into the field away from us. It was cutting in a straight line diagonally, like a disrespectful teen might cross someone's lawn because they are too lazy to walk to the corner. The direction it was heading there were no more houses at all. We were going westbound, and the creature was heading northeast. The only other housing nearby was southeast from us. To the northeast which it was heading, was another field, and possibly a creek or two, and then deep woods for quite a ways, not sure how far, but not much for residents up there for miles and miles, before getting to the sandy river towards Dodge Park. The direction it was coming from, it would have been a mile or two in, but there would have been a few housing developments about three miles from the outskirts of Gresham, kind of near Sandy or Damascus. I wouldn't say it was crossing from over in that area, because it would have had to cross a lot of suburban type areas, as well as several busy roads and a busy highway Highway 26. If it was a Bigfoot, my personal guess is it was headed back home after going somewhere in the opposite direction for some reason. I thought it rather odd, and we all joked occasionally from time to time about seeing Bigfoot for the next year or two, when remembering times we hung out, before eventually the group of friends generally moved away. We ranged in age from 19 to 28 years old, and there were about 4 or 5 of us. I was trying to research a little on my cousin's murder, on Wildcat Mountain Road years ago, when I came across this site due to the keywords I was using. After reading quite a bit, it brought back this memory. I think my wife and her friend have a few stories as well, having lived in Central Oregon near La Pine, Crescent, and Gilchrist most of their lives. I will have to talk with them, and make some reports as well. Also when I think about it, there was kind of a rotten smell to the area. Didn't really smell animal-like. Although that general area at night smells kind of animal-like, it smelled kind of humid, mossy, and a bit like mildew. Not the typical Bigfoot smell from what I have read. It wasn't really a rancid smell either, but kind of fresh. This is one of my desert stories. They are all true, with the given disclaimer that I am only human and have made mistakes in perception and judgment the same as the rest of us. I don't drink booze to more than a light buzz most of the time and have only blacked out once early in my teens, I don't really mayos with weed, and avoid hallucinogens. Deserts are inherently kind to otherworldly places, even if you call one home. Dunes in particular are very odd. I know of only a few places where you can find them in my part of the world. The northernmost are the Kilpecker Dunes in the Red Desert of southern Wyoming, then to the south, Great Sand Dunes National Park in Colorado, and further south yet are the dunes in White Sands National Park. Maybe there are others, but these are the ones I've been to, many times. They are some of the few places where I feel reasonably comfortable practicing firecraft in dry seasons. They are an amazing place to learn about what you can and can't do without, and to practice more esoteric bushcraft and survival skills. These three locations are also, by amazing coincidence, where these stories take place. I'll start here with the one I've been to the most. I grew up in a high desert. They are unforgiving by their very nature, but if you can take what they throw at you they are full of a surprising amount of life and beauty. The forests and mountains may be my sanctuary, but I fear in my heart that I am ultimately a desert creature, 
and the dry wind that steals away warmth and moisture also calls me home. I love the desert and the winds that allow nothing spare. I love the rocky creek beds where the bones of the fish that once gave them life blew into dust centuries ago. I love the rocky outcrops rotted away to globular non-forms by wind and ice. The desert is my home. Much like any other home, once you get used to its little tells, a sense of a place forms within you. You know when you're alone in it, when a cherished knick-knack has been moved, a four left open. Sometimes the echoes of a missing familiar sound can whisper a warning, a slight sense of offness. Sometimes though, they can scream. The dunes of the Red Desert are not easy to get to, and depending on which part you are in, entry can be of dubious legality. I, of course, of course, would never advise going where you aren't allowed, and certainly never have in my hastier, less cautious youth. No sir. I had been many times, and I tried to avoid camping or tooling around out there in the same spot. Alcohol was usually hauled out, water always was, and usually some lightweight means of defending oneself, but there isn't exactly a plethora of prey animals to feed a huge predatory population, so it's not really all that necessary. Somewhere around a decade ago, maybe more, maybe less, I took something of an on-again, off-again girlfriend of mine out to the Red Dunes, hopefully for a a night of fun, if not outright debauchery. The pretense, which she later happily confirmed was pretense for her as well, was that we were there to practice air-based water collecting techniques and firecraft. I've never been much of a smooth talker, but what can I say, hope springs eternal. I won't use any real names, but I'll refer to her by the trait I most associate with her, so let's call her Grace. It was a drive and a half, but eventually we got there, and in relative comfort. Like many young women in the Mountain West, parental worries of their daughters being stranded somewhere by buying them overbuilt SUVs with a WD and enough creature comforts to make you feel like you never left home at all. As they have the gas efficiency of a Derrick fire, and Grace was nothing if not practical, she had yanked out half the seats and turned the inside into huge cargo space, including a secondary gas tank. I understand that this is not necessarily safe if done by an amateur and is typically outside of the cab in a truck bed, but whatever. Not my vehicle. Anyway, this was good, as we burned a lot of gas to get out there, and the AWD was very handy. We got there around the hottest part of the day, which in the early fall isn't so bad, and hiked out to where we wanted to set up camp. I had on occasion read about then before, and decided to attempt a travoy with a couple of poles I had brought for the purpose. For the time expenditure of around 20 minutes of setup and the purpose of dragging crap along the sand, I gotta say, not bad. I was able to haul all of out BS out by myself around 3, 3 and a half miles from where we parked. The dunes cover a truly huge space, and my favorite parts are of course the hardest to get to, as they tend to be the farthest from the ATVers. I don't have an issue with them necessarily, but I like the dunes best when it's quiet enough to hear them sing. I don't understand it well enough to explain it, you'll have to look it up. They are what are known as living dunes, and they make a noise folks call singing. Of course, as a younger man trying, in a self-awarely stupid fashion, to impress my date with my muscles and trying to maintain a lively conversation without revealing how winded I was, don't judge, Walking on shifting sands is hard, I wasn't listening for the singing of sand, but trying to catch what Grace was saying over the wind. This story isn't about that part anyway, but I can say, even with something of a bittersweet taste in my mouth now, that it was a pleasant time with a person I once loved, and I wouldn't have traded it for the world. We set up our camp in the nook between a few dunes, Erecting a virginal handmade tent of Grace's design and manufacture with some difficulty and good-natured swearing. It was pretty cool, a kimmed of low wedge designed to be erected in high wind zones and remain warm. It had a dead air space built in, which was a pretty neat feature to my mind. Along with it, we discovered why a Dakota fire pit doesn't work well on shifting sands which should have been obvious if either of us thought about it for more than a half second and thoroughly chastised by the cruel dictates of basic physics, 
dug a regular fire pit like folks with functioning frontal lobes. We set up a few frames which held elevated tarps with stones in the middle over half-buried buckets to attempt to collect dew as well. I showed her the basics, and Grace lit her first friction fire with a willow bow drill, a cottonwood baseboard and yucca stalk spindle, this is my go-to combo in the western steppe, by the way, in only a few tries. As the pre-dusk light show that descends every evening, known to the natives as golden hour, probably to everybody for all I know, rolled across the dunes and mountains of the Red Desert like so much maple syrup over harsh and unusually topographically variable pancakes, Grace and I were letting some stew cook over the fire while I showed her how to process yucca for fiber. We had a very pleasant evening characterized by not enough stew and too much whiskey, and a song I wrote, very much not for her, except in the fact that it very much was accompanied by one of those horrible little broom-shaped traveling guitars. As is the way of the fortunes of all young men trying to impress women who they should know have them dead to rights already, the B-string broke halfway through. If you can't make the object of your affection swoon, making them laugh their asses off isn't a bad consolation prize. We ended the night wrapped in a blanket by the fire, Watching the moon rise and the stars do their gentle revolving dance around Polaris until I carried her, snoring like band saw, into her sleeping bag. I settled into mine and let the sound of the wind and the singing dunes carry me to sleep. As an aside, folks who might still benefit from this advice, take time to remind yourself to remember moments like these as they happen. They are gifts, and they should be treasured as such. I rested comfortably for a while maybe an hour or two, before the whiskey reminded me of the debt I now owed it and I went to relieve myself. I was immediately taken aback by two things. One was the ludicrous brightness of the moon. Despite the residing in the red desert, the Kilpecker dunes are in fact a kind of creamy tan color, and on nights with a full moon, you might find darker conditions under a storm cloud in the middle of the day. The light seemed like it was pulsing a little, which I assume was probably more to do with dehydration and booze than the actual light sources. The second thing, I noticed was the calm. It's almost always windy in Wyoming. It just is. I grew up there, walking to school in steady 40 miles per hour winds. Calm does happen, but it's usually a relative calm, like only 8 miles per hour winds. This was still. Waking up to the calm is like waking up in a strange room you don't remember falling asleep in. Not inherently bad, per se, but disquieting and alien in a small but pervasive way. I climbed up a nearby dune, because if I have to urinate, I may as well do so from a great height, the men reading this will understand, and because I wanted a good view of the surrounding area under its unusually well illuminated conditions. The only sound was my footsteps my breath and the gentle hum of the dunes themselves. Not even an owl to be heard. As I got to the top, a mountain came into view. Actually, several did. This isn't an unusual experience in the Rockies, as visibility can often be hundreds of miles in clear conditions and farther from elevation. What was of note was that above the ones to the north of me there were flashes and flickers of light. Thunderstorm up north was my first thought, which would have been the safe bet. But I saw no clouds past them. I then noticed the ghostly colors of the lights and realized I was watching the Aurora Borealis, which I was hitherto unaware could be seen from that far south. I took a moment to relax and enjoy it, before scanning around me to see what other sights the moon would show me. It was then that I spotted, down below me in a flatter area, what appeared to be many numerous four-legged creatures. Cows, Sheep, antelope, hell, even deer or elk wouldn't be that strange. I honestly couldn't tell you what they were, only that were probably more than 20 and less than 50, more about that in a moment. But in the middle, I swore I saw an old school I kid you not covered wagon. Not the pioneer kind, but the blockier, fully roofed shepherd's hut on wheels that dotted Wyoming like freckles 120 years ago. Folks think it was the cattle that built the West, but Wyoming first and foremost was built on sheep. However, whatever I was seeing, it was all backlit by the moon, 
So they were casting shadows from the side facing me. Now, I'll be honest with y'all, I don't have the absolutely clearest vision. It's not bad, better with glasses, but I don't usually bring them with me to throw a leak in the middle of the night. So when I say the movement of these critters and the wagon looks strange, almost flickery, I expect you to take it with a grain of salt. I expect you to say it had something to do with the aurora or my eyes being tired, and those are all legit. Thankfully I have really good hearing and olfactory perception. What my mediocre vision doesn't explain is why I was looking at something probably less than a mile away and I couldn't hear it on a still night. Wagons are noisy. They creak worse than boats, even when new. Livestock are noisy, and I'd find it odd to see a group that sighs with no bells around their necks. Nothing. Silence. Furthermore, why would you try to travel by night? It was bright, sure, but it's not like that's a common practice, at least not according to anything I've ever heard. You want your critters together and easily defended from predators, that's what I understand. I watched them for a while, moving slowly across the ground almost like they were underwater. Slow enough I broke off a yucca stock and stuck it into the ground to mark the progress. Slow, but it was there. I stayed up there, watching the lights and the procession of shadows for a long time. Eventually, I decided to whistle at them, the two fingers in the mouth super loud angry dad whistle. I heard it echo back at me, and then nothing. I yelled aloud, hello, at them as well. Echo and nothing, again. Huh. No change in pace, no lights. I started to think the progress might be the moon moving across the sky and not whatever I thought it was. So, I decided to go grab my binoculars, and try to wake up Grace to at least see the lights. It was a little treacherous descending but I made it in one piece. Camp was as I had left it, and I relaxed a little. I opened the tent flap and dug around a little, found my knocks but my atmeps to rouse my lady friend were unsuccessful. She was not having it. Not at all. She rolled over and went back to sleep, and chastised, I went back up to the top of the dune. It took me a little longer this time, I was definitely feeling the climb by the time I got to the crest again. It looked like a little progress had been made, according to my yucca stock markers. Curious as hell I decided to use the binoculars to try to make out what I was looking at. I couldn't find the shadows in the binoculars. There are two possible influences on that, one being these were old binoculars and they had been stuck in maximum zoom since I had gotten them. The other would be it was in the wee hours of the morning and I had, several hours earlier imbibed some booze. But try and try again, nothing. I couldn't get eyes on the critters or the wagon. Couldn't hear them, couldn't get a long distance look at them. What was I to do? I said F it, and went back to bed. Whatever I was looking it wasn't hurting me, it was just curious, and I had grown drowsy and cold lying on the cold sand. I narked the direction with one of the stalk segments, slid down the dune on my ass, and crawled back into the tent. As I lay there, waiting for sleep in the warm and dark, I heard that gentle dune noise again, and the wind picked back up. My lullaby. Just as I was drifting off, though, I thought I heard a whistle echo across the sands but from very far away. I put it dune to my ears playing tricks on me, and when I next opened my eyes it was morning. Problem was, I was sitting next to the still crackling fire, not in the tent, and Grace was leaning against me as we sat wrapped in a blanket. I know, I know. F you, this was just a dream, you d? I can hear you just fine. There are a few problems with that hypothesis, though. One was, I put out the fire before going to bed. Im camping in a giant ashtray with a shovel in hand, it was effortless to put out and I remember doing so very clearly. Another was that I was wearing shoes, which I hadn't done to go relieve myself and I hadn't done since we started the fire the night before, since I wanted a better grip on my baseboard to show Grace how to light a fire with a stick and bow. I have monkey feet, judge away. Here's another, I could see my footsteps up the dune in the trail from my impromptu derriere sledding session. Okay. I woke Grace up, and she said that she thought we had slept in the tent. 
I concurred, and we sat there blearily blinking at a fire we didn't remember building. I asked her to start the coffee, and climbed back up the dune, this time with my compass and my binoculars. My yucca fragments were there, and I got a heading, scoping out where I thought they were the night before. Still didn't see anything that would have made sense, so I headed back down once more on the A-Cheek Express, and talked to my girlfriend about what I had seen. She wasn't particularly freaked out by any of it, confidently told me I was still asleep or sleepwalking when I saw lights and the bizarre caravan. She was a little concerned by the lost time and not remembering getting up, but I think, to her credit as a reasonable person, she thought I was winding her up. I wasn't offended. I was, however, racked by curiosity. What the hell had happened? I'm not a sleepwalker as far as I know, and I as I am now, writing this, have lost time before out in the wilderness but never before this incident. Was it just weird shadows? Had I been asleep? My markers were there, so I had been pretty lucid for a someone. One simple test I thought of would confirm or deny it. I decided to throw on my boots and hike over to where I thought the trail should be by my best guess, while I let Grace do her morning routines. A short, brisk walk later, and I found nothing. No prints of any kind. This part wasn't as sandy as some others, so prints wouldn't have been everywhere, but there were none. Likelihood of sleep and booze-fueled hallucinations increasing. I did a fairly Thorpew arch of a few hundred yards in several directions, leaving my water bottle as a guide for where I thought it should be. No prints. I didn't give up. I trust my senses most of the time, and I'm stubborn. Also, I wasn't seeing anything that, given the angle of the moon, should have cast a shadow like that. Scrub, low brush. No trees, no boulders. I kept looking, first along the route I thiffed they would have coned from. No prints again. Something to catch my eye though. In a less sandy patch, I saw a long stretch of depressed clay. A rut, I realized, and some mild depressions in the rock here and there. A rut from a wheel made of something harder than modern tires, with a less gentle suspension. Now that I was looking for it, I saw more here and there. Headed to bisect the dunes, from one grassland to the next. Just an old, old trail from long ago. I don't know what any of that was. I wasn't of sober or clear mind, although I was far from blackout drunk or sleep deprived. Grace got angry at me after a certain point of talking about it, so I stopped bringing it up. We finished out our outing. Our water collectors were successful in that they collected dew and unsuccessful in that it was about a cup and a half from the three of them together. We made a bolo out of some rocks and yucca cordage, pre-made, it's a process and what we had made while we were there was minimal and strictly as a tutorial, we practiced at Lottle's skills, ruined some perfectly good flint in the attempt to make a pair of blades. We shared many good meals together. Still, overall, a very pleasant trip. After another couple of uneventful nights we headed home. I hadn't discussed it with anyone since really. I have no good explanation. I have however been out there again, and while I've never seen anything like that again, twice in my recollection I whistled at the top of the dunes before going to bed, and later that night, I was sure I heard one back. Probably just another camper. Probably. Me and a bunch of friends went camping back in June of 2000. Up past Fall Creek, Oregon. It was dusk when I saw it and what happened was, I was standing there it's been so long I really don't remember what I was doing at the time but I do know for sure I felt like someone was staring at me and I also got this weird burning feeling of like adrenaline in my mind. Even though my tent was like 4 or 5 feet from the camp I looked out toward the campfire I could see everybody we were camping with right there. But I looked to the direction of where I got that feeling. I don't know how I just knew to look that way but I did and I seen it standing about 8 or 9 feet away I felt this petrified feeling and in the 3 seconds which seemed so long I thought run, but at the same time I thought keep looking to make sure what you're looking at is real. Oh it was real I swear by it. I just went into the tent and I didn't say anything to anybody we were camping with, 
I felt the crowd of about 11 people might have made fun of me or something. But later on that night when my boyfriend CW came to bed I told him and of course he didn't believe me. My best friend was going out with CW brother and at about 4 o'clock in the morning when everybody was just starting to go to bed my best friend and my boyfriend's brother got in a fight that woke almost everybody up. Tabby my BF went running away from the camp and I got up and so did my boyfriend to talk to his brother. I went to find Tabby in about 5 minutes or so we all heard the loudest scream. Of course it was my friend that screamed but as everybody went toward the area of where we all heard the scream she was running toward us with the most petrified look saying oh my god. We were like what? She said when she was down by the creek after her and SW were arguing she felt weird and she wanted to come back so as she was climbing up the embankment. By the river. It was right there at the top just hunched over looking at her. After she told that to everybody I knew I believed her cause of what I saw everybody else well a couple people didn't believe her but I know for a fact what I saw, and I didn't even tell her until after it happened and she came up and said what she seen. In case anyone is wondering what it is. It is Sasquatch I never ever thought I would be saying that I guess I had to see it for myself. But the Sasquatch I seen wasn't like Harry and the Hendersons it had hair like an orangutan but a little bit thicker and wasn't as big it seemed like it was about 6 feet. I get a feeling it was a female for some reason. I could be wrong. All I know what I seen was real. Its eyes from what I could tell looked dark. I never had a feeling that it was going to hurt me. I think I was just scared because I never seen anything like it. A while after that my friend Tabby told her dad and he was like. Oh yeah, that's the wild man of Windbury Creek. He said it like it was nothing. I know Tabai's mom used to bartend at Fall Creek Taven and they were around a lot of things said, loggers would come in and our friends and talk about things. And apparently we weren't the first ones to have seen it in that area. Her mom bartended there about 25 years ago and it was being seen then too. Except we know it's not a wild man it's a Sasquatch that's just what they called it back then. So yeah it's been being seen in that area from different people for 25 years. The first odd occurrence in this area was in the 90s. I had killed a nice 5x5 archery bull elk and had gone back up to retrieve a tree stand the next day with my sister. As we got near the remains, hide, gut pile and mostly intact skeleton, hip bone spine ribs neck bones, the tree limes just beyond the remains swayed like something big had just gone through them. Didn't notice any sounds of animals. The next day I returned to look around that same area for bare sign on the remains. All the remains were gone. No sign of any drag marks like a bear or cougar had taken them. Why would a person or persons take a rotting hide, gut pile and skeleton with no salvageable meat? A couple years later my friend and I were hiking down after archery hunting that same spot I got that 5x5 five five earlier. It was just a few minutes before we had to use our flashlights to see. Off to our west we heard something coming towards us in the trees. Heavy steps, limbs popping and tree branches moving. We both stopped and readied our bows. When the thing came within about 15 feet of the creek bed we were walking and it stopped. The trees were very thick in this area and it was getting dark fast. My friend and I looked at each other kinda with a spooked feeling passing between us and then the thing turned around and left the way it came. No sound at all other than steps and the tree limb sounds. We agreed the thing that was making the limbs move had to be 7 to 8 foot tall to move the limbs like it did. In August of 2000 I was archery hunting on a windy, cold day. I heard something approaching up the ridge. It sounded like a person walking very heavily. It was not an elk or deer. A few minutes later there was a very loud roaring sound from roughly 200 yards away. I thought it was someone mad that I was hunting there but the volume was just too loud for a human. About two minutes later there was a second roar and it had moved about twice the distance away from me. That roar was followed by an elk bugling 100 yards away. I didn't look for any sign as the roars actually spooked me some and I didn't want to find anything that could produce that kind of a sound with that volume. 
In early 2001 I had hiked up the southeast side of the mountain, following a small creek up, exploring a side of the mountain I had never been on. I got up to the upper levels of the tree line and started around to the east side to hike the big ridge running off the east side of the mountain. There was still some snow around the clearings and in the trees. In one of the clearings I noticed a strange, large impression near the middle. This clearing was maybe 80 feet across with bare dirt except for snow around all the edges under the trees. Steep sloping ground. I stood beside the impression and just stared at it. The print was going in the same direction as I was. The uphill side was very visible and the downhill side was gone. It was very easy to distinguish the toes and the heel and the outland of the print on the uphill side. It was a right foot print and the bigger toe and the four smaller toes were there. Smallest toe was barely seen as downhill side left no impression of outside of foot. You could see the curve around the heel but not quit all of the curve. Step on a steep slope sometime and see how much of your print is visible while keeping the bottom of your foot flat as if walking on level ground. The track was 16 to 18 inches long and about 7 to 8 inches wide. I dismissed it as a freak natural occurrence as there was only the one. When I started off the mountain late in the day I realized that the weathering the track had shown plus with the warmer weather and the snow melt it might have been possible for the snow to have been gone in the middle of the clearing and for the snow to melt faster outwards from the clearing as it would get more sunlight than the edges. I had looked around for signs of other people having gone up there before me but saw none. Not even on the trails at the base of the mountain did I see any sign other than my own. In June or July of 2001 my ex-wife and I were setting up our camp for the evening. It was dark as we had got a late start after work. We were putting up our tent with only one lantern burning when we both at the exact same time looked up at each other and asked if the other had farted. We both had smelled a really strong odor. Made me think of a bear scent but it had an odd sweaty smell. Never had smelled a bear with that type of odor. I grabbed my flashlight, which I discovered had a nearly dead battery, and walked into the direction of the wind. I could still smell the strong odor so about 30 yards from my truck I started looking as best as I could for any eyeshine. I swung the flashlight beam aiming it more towards the ground level expecting to see some eyes at a lower than hip level. I instead saw a pair of yellowish eyes higher up than expected. I raised the flashlight and I saw a dark form like a shadow standing there 30-40 feet away. The ground in that direction starts to slope down to a dry creek bed. I am 6 feet 4 and with the slight slope the shadow was taller than me. When the light hit the shadow I saw the eyes either squint or in some way react to the light being shined directly on it. After 4 to 5 seconds it turned and disappeared. I could see an outline, like a shadow, of very wide shoulders and arms that hung down like a person's. If this had been a person the eyes would not have glowed in a yellowish color nor would they have reacted to the light. This shadow as it turned was perfectly silent and just disappeared into the woods. The shadow appeared to be 7 to 8 feet tall considering the slight downhill flow of the terrain and that I had to look up slightly at the eyes. I listened for a few hours that night after going to bed and heard nothing odd. I lived in El Paso for close to 5 years and did a lot of backcountry camping. Red Sands, Guadalupe. WSNP was the creepiest at night hands down, and because it requires a permit to camp there. Nobody else was there. I was all alone in this beautiful wonderland. For those unaware, White Sands is the largest gypsum deposit in the world, and it's hundreds of miles of snow white sand dunes surrounded by mountains in Bum F, New Mexico. Made some chow, sat by the fire for a while soaking it all in, then laid down. I couldn't sleep and went to take a walk in the dunes, and the whole time I felt like I was being watched. The glow of the moon reflecting on that white gypsum sand was eerie, it almost looks like a white chemlight with a full moon. Decided to call it and went back to my tent to attempt sleep. Woke up the next morning and had footprints in the sand all over my camp, but they were odd. Some circling my tent repeatedly, all around my truck, and then heading into a direction I didn't even explore. <laughs>
There was a second set of prints following my path from the night before. The high desert is strange for sure. We lived on the mountain. Down off in a big hole known as Smoky Holler. A small mining community up until the 70s. Our road was off the main community road, it lead to one of the mines. My older brother who was about 15 years old at the time said he was walking home one day and passed a stranger who was coming from the direction of our house. A stranger on our road walking was unheard of. My brother said he was dressed all in black with a long black coat and hat. And the part that stuck out to me was he said the stranger was at least 7 feet tall. They didn't speak to one another but my brother was afraid of him and had a bad feeling. Fast forward 30 years, my brother and one of his friends are driving down X Ridge and they go over the guard rail down the side of the ridge. My brother is thrown out the windshield and lands in the woods and lays there till the ambulance shows up. His friend was still in the truck as it rolled and was killed. As my brother was laying there he sees the seven-foot-tall stranger walking down the side of the road on top of the guardrail towards him. Just walking on the guardrail. He didn't say any more after that. Whether he talked to the man or not or whether the man came close to his friend in the truck.